Are you ready for this? Yes. Cammy. this is season two. You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. I feel like for season two, we should be smoking new cigars. <laughs> Instead of these recycled ones from season one. <laughs> Don't worry, these weren't left out all week long. Yeah. Cigar lighting break. <laughs> what a way to start off a podcast with a bang. Welcome to Welcome our, to our podcast. podcast. Here's 10 seconds of silence while we selfishly light our cigars on our end. I'm really excited about this topic today. I'm glad you are. You're not? I don't fully. Are we talking about? I think I know what we're talking about. Hey, what? hey, hey, hey. Let's do a small match here. You don't. It's what these are. These are for. No, not for your half cigar. All right, good point. These are my nicest matches. Have you been using them all for just so you're like your halfway lights? Hmm. Jeez. Oh, look at that. That's Jeez. Nice. You think this? We actually get paid to do this podcast. <laughs> so not only do we not get paid, but we're smoking expensive cigars, and you're using my nice matches. All right, rant over. Okay, wait. So you're not excited? This is the the money one. Mm, not really. I mean, it's just maybe I am. Not like you, though. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. Um, we don't have any – do we have any stuff to talk about first? I don't think we do. We're just going to get right into it. We're not going to listen to any comments right now. So basically, what went down is Casey Neistat, who is, I like him, okay? He was influential for me, as we shared about in the last episode, with video and even with starting a podcast. He came out with this video, and this video is titled, where is it? Uh, I don't remember. It doesn't super matter. Um, except for it was his latest video as of now because it was a response piece. I'm trying to pull it up right now. Sorry. It was a response piece to a New York Times article, and his video was titled Being Rich Versus Being Poor, a video essay. Okay? So I'm we're doing a response to a response, and the original article was called I don't even know if this is important, but it's, it was a New York Times article that came out at some point. Where's the date? It's not even in there. Uh, called Wealthy, Successful, and Miserable. Now, I'm not going to try and like get into the article itself a whole lot, although I will read one line later on. But what, I w- what we're going to do is play a few clips from Casey's... Um, reaction his essay um and we're gonna respond to that follow i think everything's clear there Mm -hmm. okay so this is um this one is like a minute and this one kind of introduces what this whole new york times article is all about sunday or something like that i found this fantastic article 
uh, in the New York Times, and the headline reads, Wealthy, Successful, and Miserable. The upper echelon is hoarding money and privilege to a degree not seen in decades, but that doesn't make them happy at work. It is a very, very interesting story, article. It's about, it's about a lot of things, but they, they focus on like this one character that the journalist met at a reunion and this guy is miserable. He he is like a Harvard business school type who works in a hedge fund or something. And this guy makes, this is the subject of this story, this guy makes $1.2 million a year, but the story is about how he is miserable at work. It was insanely stressful work done among people he didn't particularly like. He earned about $1.2 million a year and he hated going to the office. I feel like I'm wasting my life away, he told me. When I die, is anyone gonna care that I earned an extra percentage point of return? My work feels totally meaningless. Okay, so those are all clips from the article. <clears throat> well, not all, but he read some clips from the article. And that's basically it. I don't, I don't, to me, the, the article itself is not that interesting. But this journalist goes back to some sort of, I don't know if it's a high school reunion or what, but there's all these old high schoolers there. Basically, he meets the rich guys who are making Uber money. And they're kind of not super happy. Surprise, surprise. And then he talks to some of the poorer folks who are happy. And then he puts out this article. Okay, big deal, right? But then, this is what's interesting to me. Later on in the video, this is Casey's response to that article after Casey posts about this article on Twitter. So I tweeted this article, and there was kind of a lot of feedback in my Twitter thread. I think it was from people who just read the headline but a lot of like really valid feedback that was like, oh, boo-hoo, poor millionaire is not happy. That was the sentiment, and I appreciate that. And I was thinking a lot about that. I was thinking about like that, that platitude, money won't solve your problems, or money won't solve all your problems. What a crock of shit. Okay. So this is where it gets really interesting is he posts the article, a bunch of people post the article. Then there's this kind of backlash, that whole like, oh, boo-hoo, you're not happy because you have money. That I think is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating to me there's a lot of things that are fascinating to me. But one of the things is these rich people weren't trying to publish this article at all. Like, the person who was writing it wasn't rich, if that makes sense. And he's just reporting on his experience. Mm -hmm. So he's going to a bunch of people just at a party and being like, yo, bro, what's up? How's it going? And the guys are being like, dude... I don't know, man. My life is like, I, I'm not really enjoying it. It's not like super cool. And the guy like makes these observations himself, just mm -hmm. what appears to be a middle class guy, I think. Mm -hmm. 
and then goes and says, man, I talked to the rich folks, and they weren't very happy. And I talked to the poor folks, and they actually seemed just as happy or happier in some cases than the rich folks. The article gets published and goes a little viral, and the response is, shut the hell up, rich people. Boo-hoo. No one's going to feel bad for you. As if they were asking for sympathy. Mm-hmm. But, it's like the other part went like right over people's heads. The other part of like, huh, I wonder why the poor people are just as happy or happier than the rich people. That's interesting. So there's a bit of a, this is strikes close to home to me. Boy, does it strike close to home. Yeah. Okay. So here's my little disclaimer slash personal story. Um, I used to make a lot of money. Um, what, 10 years ago, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. But um, before that you didn't make, well, I'm not going to talk oh, about that yet. Okay. But seven or eight years ago, I was making approximately a million bucks a year. Maybe I, I might've made 1.2 million, uh, which is exactly what they said in the article, but numerous years I made more than a million dollars. And at the time it was more money than I ever thought I never thought I would make a million dollars in a lifetime so to make a million dollars in a year more than a million dollars I I it surpassed every anything in my wildest dreams or imagination but and this is the truth this is a fact I was more miserable in those years than I think I've been in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And it was so impactful to me that I've spent the last six years trying to figure out how to write about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the facts or a story that came out was the work that I the the loose title the working title of the book that i've been writing is called disappointed millionaire and i took it to this agent and she was like that title's not going to work she goes because people are going to be like oh boo hoo look at the poor disappointed <laughs> millionaire it was exactly like, what they said yeah now i'm not even like i'm not even telling you what to believe i'm not telling you <laughs> money doesn't answer your problems or any of that yet all i'm saying is my story is i was the richest I'd ever been in my entire life, making more money than I had made my entire life. My stress levels were higher than they'd been my entire life. I was the most overweight and unhealthiest I'd been my entire life. I had headaches almost every single day. I convinced myself that I needed to go get a massage weekly just to maintain baseline health, but I never got the massage because I didn't want to spend any money doing it because I still considered it a ridiculous use of money. (laughs) <laughs> that was what those years looked like for me. And yeah. and I don't want to say that it was all bad. Yeah. Because we did go to Hawaii. Um I'm trying to think of other ways we splurged. I mean, we went the to the Bahamas. Bahamas. Yeah. So we had a few $10,000 vacations. Mhm. Um We ate out a lot. I ordered a lot of stuff on Amazon. I had a tennis club membership and I had a private tennis trainer. I had a I had a personal assistant that I hired to play tennis with my kids because I didn't have time to play tennis with my kids. We bought some property. 
Mm, yeah. I think it helped us pay off our our mortgage on our old house. So that was that's like where I'm coming from in regards to this. Yeah. Um so this question though that Casey then goes on to answer in the rest of his video is kind of I think along the lines saying it's almost like a response to the rich people who I think he's putting words in their mouth, but as if the rich people are saying, oh, money's not important when it comes to happiness. So then his next little case is kind of saying, well, this is how important money actually is. Oh, money will literally solve every one of your problems. Money will solve your problems. This idea that money won't solve problems, it's bullshit. When I was dirt poor, money would have solved every one of my problems. I was lucky not to have health issues or other. You get the idea. Money would have solved all my problems. And I think that's why people responded just to this headline with such emotion is because it's like, it feels so tone deaf when you have nothing to hear this idea that money won't solve your problems. I thought about it further. Okay, ready? Rich or poor, we all face these problems. Problems that I'll call life problems. Life problems are things like finding happiness and finding love and a sense of fulfillment in your life and a sense of purpose maybe in your career, etc. These are life problems. These are problems we all, rich or poor, encounter. Money won't solve these problems. But when you're broke, on top of, and I mean that literally and figuratively, on top of these problems, you've got money problems. And money problems are things like, how am I gonna pay rent? How am I gonna pay for food? I'm sick and can't afford to go to the doctor. I can't get a job because I can't drive to work. I don't have any nice clothes to wear to that job interview, things like that. And I think the hardest part of, of money problems is that when you have money problems, they can drown out these other issues. Like, if you're feeling down in life, it's hard to work on your happiness when you literally might not know where you're gonna sleep. It's hard to like dwell too much on a relationship when you literally don't know where your next meal might come from. And you're not exactly worried about fulfillment at your job when you have no way to get there and you got no clothes to wear. And you get the idea. So this part gets, I think, like a little confusing um, because what he does is he actually physically draws out this diagram and it has life problems, which he, he starts off talking about happiness, love, fulfillment, and purpose. And then above it, he draws this diagram called money problems. And those are things like housing, food, healthcare, transportation, clothing, etc. Now, I think if we're going to use this as an analogy, to me, a better analogy might be like you have this giant field that is life problems, happiness, love, fulfillment, and purpose. Mm -hmm. And in front of that field, you have a wall. And that wall is housing, food, healthcare, transportation, and clothing. Mm -hmm. And you can't get to the field or even see the field with this wall there. Mm -hmm. So his kind of case is, well, these people are playing in the field and they're talking about the field, but he uses the word tone deaf Mm -hmm. because you're talking to people that aren't, they don't even have access to the field because yeah. they're worried about how they're going to get to work or how they're going to pay their medical bill mm -hmm. and stuff like that. 
And I didn't realize it at the time, but I think this is also the subject of a tweet by Hank Green, if you guys know who he is, that he tweeted out a week or two ago. And this is what he, his tweet says. If a person who benefits hugely from having money ever tweets about how money doesn't really solve money's people's problems. Wait, what? If I... Oh, sorry. You know what? <laughs> I slaughtered that. If I, and then it's parentheses, a person who benefits hugely from having money, on parentheses, ever tweet about how money doesn't really solve people's problems, please berate and then unfollow me. Kind of jumping on this bandwagon of like, that's tone deaf. I am where I am because of money. Mm-hmm. And money does solve problems, at least some of them. And the ones Casey Neistat points out, again, are housing, food, healthcare, transportation, and clothing. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. That's what I want to talk about. Because I this, this really kind of, it pisses me off a little bit. How do you explain poor people who are happy? I know there's a lot of poor people who aren't. But how do you explain the ones who are? How do they get to that field when they don't have the right housing or f- the right food? That because is a great isn't question. there both of those kinds of people? Aren't there happy poor people and happy and unhappy poor people? I think what they're saying is that because because in the in the field is happiness, love, fulfillment, and purpose. And you can only get there if you have housing, food, healthcare, and transportation, and clothing. But what I would ask about those that requirement, that supposed wall that you have to climb over, mm-hmm. is whose definition of housing are we talking about here? I mean, unless you're literally homeless on the street, the homes that the poorest people have in America are, seem to me yeah. to be better than the worst homes people had 200 years ago. Maybe with the exception of the 1% in castles. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the poorest people in America have electricity, for Mm -hmm. Christ's sake. You know, and have some form of heat. I mean, and even have access to, like, internet. And, I mean... I'm surprised you didn't put cell phones up there because that right now that is seen as a mandatory requirement and I'm fine with cell phones. I'm not saying that I have a problem with cell phones or housing, but I'm just saying if our definition of what is a basic human need in order to be happy is whatever is culturally, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, up to par. Mm-hmm. average culturally uh the cultural expectations which of... by the way has put our nation and us as individuals in massive amounts of debt to achieve yeah so you could say it's all borrowed it's not even like real it's inflated whatever sense of housing food healthcare and transportation we've seemed to have bought yeah we haven't even done it with our own money but if he is saying, oh, you need to have a car, you need to have an individual fucking automobile that can take you up to 60 miles per hour, something that no one has had in all of human history, mm-hmm. 
you need to have access to healthcare. Healthcare is a tricky one for me. That's like a whole nother animal that people feel entitled to access to the system. And it's also, I don't know, like I know I'm getting existentialist here, but happiness, love and purpose and fulfillment, those are all very abstract things that I don't think only depend on the housing, food, healthcare, transportation, clothing. I think it all depends on the person and their viewpoint, their perspective on life. Like if they're owed those things or if those things are supposed to be there and if they're not there, then I think if you feel like they should be there, but they're not there, I think you would be unhappy. But if you think, uh, I my happiness doesn't depend on that. It depends on something else. And what is that something else? I don't know. For, for people, it could be who they actually think they are, like that they're worth something apart from having housing, food, healthcare, transportation, clothing, a job, a certain kind of job, making a certain amount of money. Damn. You're going big picture quick. Yeah. I, I like know. it. I knew I married you for a reason. Well, and it's hard because I think that abstractness is, it's hard to go there. I well, get can we, it. Can we but, back up for one second? Yeah. Let's say that housing, food, healthcare, transportation, clothing are, are, are in fact basic human needs. Okay. Yeah. Let's I just, mean, food. Let, let's say they are. Some stuff. What level yeah, is required housing. for you to feel um, a level of safety or taken care of or to be able to focus on those other things? I think one it all de depends on where you live. Okay. One definition, though. Let's just say survival, like base survival. Like we don't want to die. Okay. You need some kind of shelter. So you need a housing that's going to keep you from dying. To protect you from the elements. And then the amount of food you need to keep from dying. That's the thing. Like, I mean, and and we ate. So what what Cami was saying before, we've lived in. Um, we were poor before. I mean, poor by the, Amer American standards. Poor by American standards. We were below the poverty line technically. Mm -hmm. I think our first couple years of marriage, we made sixteen thousand dollars. We made twenty thousand dollars for two, three, four people. So we were we were poor. We were on welfare. We were getting peanut butter and cheese from the government. Mm -hmm. um, one bedroom apartment with four people living in it. Best year of my life. Yeah. Which isn't entirely true, but it was awesome. Like, <laughs> I don't have any misgivings about it. Yeah. And <laughs> we had health care from the government, so but we never used it even. And I mean, we had like checkups, but that was about it. Um, transportation, we had a, we did have, at one point we had one car that and then we got worked. a, and then we got a car <laughs> that we had to push to jumpstart that was given to us for free. Yeah. So, and we've always had clothing, but yeah, I mean, at that point we got all of our, um, furniture out of the dumpster. I remember mm -hmm. not even a dumpster. It was the Goodwill dumpster. 
So it was the stuff that Goodwill rejected, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of funny. But I guess my point is when people when people say housing, they don't mean four walls and a roof. They mean a house that gives them a certain feeling. It's an it's even an abstract thing. And even when we're talking about food, we're not talking about people that are actually starving in America. And I, if you're the, I would say there's what less than one percent that's actually starving in America. If you're that, you're probably not listening to this podcast. So I'm not talking to that person. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking to the average person that's let's say making less than 100k. They're making around 60k. Family of one, two, three, or four. And they're feeling like, I can't focus on happiness, love, and fulfillment right now because I have bills to pay. That's that's who he's talking to, I think. Mm-hmm. And and his point is, yeah, you, you know, you're tone deaf if you're talking about happiness, love, fulfillment, and purpose because they're all worried about paying the bills. And we need to, the message to those people should be, yeah, get a bigger house, get nicer food, get better health care, get better transportation. Get better clothing because no one's walking around naked or threadbare. I mean, even the clothes we got, a lot of them were out of the dumpster. Yeah. So like this is, I'm just going to lay out my beef in a nutshell. This is why my book was going to be titled Disappointed Millionaire. I didn't care about a lot of those things, the housing, food, healthcare, like from a um, competitive perspective, I was kind of always outside the box and I, I didn't really find myself competing much with the culture in those ways. I was happy without much. But then when I got a shit ton of money, I thought, oh, this will mean now I'll have time to focus on the bigger things in life and I'll actually have more power and be happier and better off. And that's when looking back, I could see that in a way, the whole thing was kind of an illusion. Yeah. And like, that and that's what is so sad to me that this is the takeaway from this article is, oh. Not the article of of Casey's essay, you mean? Uh, yeah, his takeaway, but even other people's takeaway from his tweet of the article mm-hmm. is like, fuck off, millionaire. Like, you don't know anything. It's like. Whoa, 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 whoa. What if he's like, the millionaire is kind of not, I know the millionaire is not doing this, but to me, I feel like the millionaire is saying, just so you know, I'm at the top and it's, it's not working. I got everything (laughs) that you guys want. Yeah. And let me just tell you, maybe you don't want it. But the thing is, is most people have to experience it themselves before they'll listen. And most people won't. Most people won't become millionaires. And then there will be a few people that maybe, maybe will listen. So that's why I think about even your book. I'm like, Ugh, I don't even know if people are going to listen. And I get that. But, but they also spend their whole life. People are happier chasing an illusion oh, yeah. than they are. I mean, because even there, there's, um, I think this in a romantic sense, you mm-hmm. know, there is fun and excitement in the chase yeah like our dating period is one of those fun because i didn't know like if i was gonna catch you yeah and then once i got you i was like eh. <laughs> it was exciting in a different Thanks. way <laughs> <laughs> but but i think there's an illusion that hey guys like 
the lower classes in America still doesn't have enough housing, food, healthcare, and transportation. And like I said, I, I'm going to spend just one minute on the healthcare thing because I think that's going to be a controversial one. Um, if people are actually dying mm-hmm. and aren't getting healthcare, then I think they have a case. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I don't get that pill, I'm going to die yeah. or die sooner or something like that. But if we're just talking about comfort, like you get those pills because you're entitled to be sick for a shorter amount of time or to not experience sickness for as long or or what I think a lot of the American medicine system is for, which is actually peace of mind mm-hmm. or it's actually um, a status symbol. And people can fight me on this, but I'm not going to get into it. But just the stats would say the American life expectancy rate is not the best in the world. It's not the longest, but it's the most expensive. So people are buying something. They're just not buying health. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the things that people, the reason why people buy cars and the types of cars they buy, um, instead of taking a bus or riding a bike, it's not for health. It's for status. Mm -hmm. And when you spend your whole life not being able to distinguish between those two, And you think, oh, these are actually all needs. Mm -hmm. Having a big house, having each person having their own bedroom is a need. One, you're ignoring most of human history. You're ignoring most of international um, living standards. But the worst thing is that when you actually get it, you actually are not going to be any closer to achieving those things in the field, which is happiness, love, fulfillment, and purpose. Because those things, and this is what the rich people realize, they don't come with a bigger house. Mm -hmm. They don't come with, when you buy 100 cars, they still don't have them. Well, and I could count on two hands right now the rich and famous people that have killed themselves because they've gotten to that point and there's no more illusion for them to chase. And so it actually, the illusion's not there anymore, which is actually really dangerous and people are saying, shut up. Don't don't talk about the illusion not being there. It's all better. We want to pretend the illusion's there. I mean, they're not using those words. Yeah. But the way that they're pressing people that, I mean, rich people, they are allowed to tell their story too. Yeah. That's actually what pissed me off the most about Casey's video was I felt like he was crapping on the f- the feelings of this rich dude. And I don't, I don't fucking care if he's rich. He can ha- he has feelings. <laughs> like, why are we saying like he can't have feelings? And that was the hardest thing in my period of having crazy amounts of money was I remember one time I lost this $80,000 deal. And I remember I just had this feeling, I can't go to my friends right now and share that with them. Because mm-hmm. all they'll hear is, oh, the rich guy lost $80,000. As if... I'm not entitled to feel disappointment, rejection, you know, all these things that every person feels on every level. And to me, this is a systemic thing that we do as a society is we rank people and we tell rich people their feelings aren't valid. We tell kids, oh, you didn't get a lollipop. Oh, stop being a spoiled brat and a baby where we've learned that the disappointment that a two year old can feel for not getting a lollipop is just as legitimate as the disappointment I can feel as an adult when I lose my job. Hmm. And I I like to rank mine as more valuable and more Mm -hmm. important 
but the feeling is the same. Mm-hmm. And when we make a habit of discounting other people's feelings, we well, you dehumanize someone. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's another story that was really made an impression on me um, over the years and in, in researching for this book. And it's this guy named Marcus Pearson um, who goes by the screen name of Notch um, on Twitter. And he was the guy that founded Minecraft and sold it to Microsoft for $2.5 billion and basically like outbid every celebrity to buy the biggest mansion in Beverly Hills and was just, I mean, you can imagine $2.5 billion overnight. Okay, so he's like not the richest guy in the world, but he's up there. And he starts sending out these tweets that are just like they were the real stuff. Um, so this one's from August 29th, 2015. And it says, hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want. And I've never felt more isolated. Okay, so the Ibiza, I think that's Spain. Some like rich, naked beach. Party, spring break central. And so that's one tweet. I'm going to read some more of these. Um, This one's from August 29th of 2015. In Sweden, I will sit around and wait for my friends with jobs and families to have time to do shit, watching my reflection in the monitor. Um, This one's from August 29th, same date, I guess. When we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of. And now they all hate me now. And they all hate me now. Um, same day found a great girl and she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead he had a whole string of these um, and was talking about uh, how he wasn't able to hang out with any of his friends because they all had jobs and basically how lonely he was and he very quickly like he didn't obviously delete the tweets but he apologized for him and said like oh I shouldn't have done it And I was so bummed out that he apologized because I felt like for a moment the veil was pulled back on what it's actually like to have a lot of money when you've achieved it, you've arrived, and you feel like you're supposed to be to feel good and you're supposed to not feel lonely and you're supposed to be happy, but you're not. Uh, Cammy just went and put Rainier to bed. So did you catch any of those tweets? So basically this rich guy um, who sold this company, you know, he had all these tweets that were just like, I mean, I think the best one is that first one where he said, Hmm. um, you know, he feels more isolated. And and people wrote him off because they said this thing. They said, oh, what right do you have to complain? Instead Mm. of the other route is to be like, man, this race that we're on, this ladder that we're all climbing, mm-hmm. maybe it's leaning on the wrong building. But instead, people are throwing stones at him, basically, kind of like this Casey Neistat style, and being like, that's tone deaf. You have no right to speak to the people that don't have health care or don't have food or don't have a house. Mm-hmm. When actually the main message should be, or could be, I think, what do the people who are fighting for still with, you know, we're dealing with transportation and we're dealing with um, food or rent or whatever. 
what questions could they be asking themselves now in light of this truth that more hmm. will not solve problems? And, th and that's what I think actually comes out when you look at this picture that Casey drew of housing, food, healthcare. When you realize that everyone, everyone listening to this is not dying. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to a podcast, it means you have the internet. So you have more information than anyone in human history. It means you have headphones or a phone or a speaker, which is a complete luxury item. Mm -hmm. And but I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying this is the facts, and that's great. I'm yeah. really glad we're at this state. But when we're saying, I'm not going to have happiness, love, or fulfillment until I have my basic human needs met, we're not talking about basic human needs anymore. Mm -hmm. We're talking about being addicted to something else. Yeah. And I think that something else is more. Just mm -hmm. more, period. Ch chasing more and more, yeah. And people on the low end of the spectrum are addicted to more, and the only difference between them and the high end of the spectrum in America is the people that have it, they realize that it's it never ends. Mm -hmm. And, oh, crap, you know what? We need that book because I was going to have you read that section from it. Which book? The uh, Power of Now. Oh, I can go get it. <laughs> Sorry, folks. We're kind of doing a late night double podcast. Um, trying to put kids to bed at the same time. Rough transition beginning of season two here. But one of the stories that was influential to me was when I was making a lot of money I was in this club it was basically like a millionaires club and to be in it you had to be basically a millionaire and we had these pretty fun meetings and monthly meetings this group of guys that I hung out with all the time and we went to this retreat in Canada and I was in charge of this particular um, retreat or discussion that I had with these guys in my small group forum group I said these guys are all millionaires and just one of the stories that stands out to me was uh, this guy was uh, at one point he was wondering if he had an alcohol alcohol problem because he spent three nights in a row he spent more than seventeen thousand dollars at the bar each night. Those were some of the things that were talked about with this group. We'll, we'll read that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and we charted out our life, and the, this was not what I'm going to share with you guys was not the purpose of this exercise at all. But it was a fascinating byproduct. We charted out our life with every job that we had, and we ranked it from negative 10 to positive 10, mm -hmm. starting with, like, the paper route you started off with to wherever people were at now, which most of them were the most successful they'd ever been in their life at that moment, mm -hmm. including myself, financially speaking. But what was fascinating was in terms of happiness, most all of them ranked the happiest they had ever been was like their first job when they delivered pizza and listened to fucking rock and roll and smoked pot <laughs> in the kitchen and got free pizza. Mm -hmm. That was the happiest they'd ever been. And at first I thought that was a coincidence. And then like I'd listen to the next guy and you, they charted out on paper and they shared it with the whole group. You know, there's like eight of us in this hotel room mm -hmm. and the next guy would go. And there's a story after story of wow. how, they were all like looking back at the good old days of the freedom they felt. You know, they had these things like happiness, love, fulfillment, and purpose. When you got your first job and you felt independent, you're like, mm -hmm. I can buy a Walkman. Um, and then now 
they're all managing these million dollar companies with at that time I probably had I don't know 30 employees and you know we had a five or ten million dollar company and I was thinking this has got to be a 20 or 40 million dollar company and everyone's living in houses that if they're making 10 million dollars a year they're you know everyone's leveraged like crazy so they're they're still double booked on appointments and they're you know if if they're if they could afford a one million dollar home they live in a five million dollar home just like everyone else you know everyone else if they have a hundred thousand dollars they buy a five hundred thousand dollar house and they borrow the 80 the other 80 percent and rich people do the same thing yeah so they're but they're living under more pressure because they actually owe more right and that's when i saw it was just so fascinating seeing this and i watched this group of people and that was a, the beginning of the end for me in terms of that lifestyle because i was like oh these were the people like at first i wanted to be broke and i was like okay i'm not a very good broke person <laughs> And then I was like, okay, well, fuck it. I'll just be rich, you know? Mm -hmm. Might as well just have it all. And I could see the people that were actually even richer than me, and I was like, I don't want to be like them either. Mm. But I find it so hard because, you know, and then this Casey guy is saying like, oh, well, you can't tell that to people because that makes you tone deaf to talk about that. And I'm like, no. Like, to me, that's codependence on a massive scale. If we're saying, oh, like, no, just keep on telling the people that are fighting for, quote, unquote. Keep climbing that ladder. Keep climbing. Yeah. Like, it happiness it's is on the other side. It's a burning building, but keep climbing yeah. that fucking ladder. Like, no, like, I think if you're on the other side of that, I don't want to say you're obligated, but if that's your story, if you are disappointed... Bring your fucking truth and yeah. share that story. You just, you have to be willing to get some stones thrown at you, apparently. And I get it. In America, you know, I think there is something to be said for having a certain amount of money. I don't know what that money is, you know. Um, maybe to be able to own a house or not be out of debt. But once again, I, all the richest people I know, they still had debt. It, it wasn't about a quantity of money it was actually about a lifestyle of more that was hmm. in fact our date is coming up where we celebrate being out of debt yeah I think it was like seven or eight years ago for us that we paid off our mortgage mm -hmm. and i share that story with people every year on facebook or whatever and i always feel guilty about it because i always know some asshole is gonna say basically this and say like oh you're tone deaf like i can't afford to get out of debt and and i have to like steal myself up and remember that our getting out of debt did not have to do with making a certain amount of money, mostly. Because we had money for a long time before we were out of debt. We just kept on accumulating more and more debt. Mm -hmm. When we got out of debt, it was another decision altogether, which was to get off the treadmill. Yeah. And the reason why I'm so passionate about sharing this message with Gen Pop is because if you are waiting for some amount of money out there to give to, you happiness, love, fulfillment, purpose, I just want to say be prepared for that moment to never come. And I'm not saying it will never come. I'm just I just want to say don't be surprised if you make 60k 100k 
one point two. I think mil. it's easier for people to chase that illusion than to actually find happiness, love, fulfillment, purpose from somewhere else. That's probably why people keep doing it. Sorry, I relighted my cigar. Yeah. Because I talked to you about how you shouldn't care about money. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's a negative way of putting it. But the positive way of putting it is this. Is if you knew that these things were never going to come from any magical dollar amount. And by the way, one way to prove my point is by asking this question. Look at how much you're making now. And there's a chance, there's a good chance for a lot of you that it's more than you've ever made. And there's a good chance that even for a lot of you, it's more than you ever dreamed. I mean, remember when you're in high school and you, for me, I got my first job and well, even like in fifth grade, I couldn't believe people would pay me $10 or $5 to wash their car. I thought I was printing money and I thought, oh my gosh. And then I got a job where I got a hundred dollar paycheck and I could not believe that I had a hundred dollars that would just like come to me. It felt like I was robbing the bank. And I thought, and then, you know, we got married and I was making, even when I had $18,000 a year, I thought we felt rich. We would like go out to eat once a week and we'd split a meal and we got milk from the government. I mean, we, I, I was like loving my life. And then I made $60,000 and I was like, holy crap, 60,000, you know? Mm -hmm. And every step that I make, I thought, you know, I thought would, was beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. But I got used to it. So, okay, so that was a side tangent. But going back to where we were, if you knew that there was no dollar amount out there anymore, if you looked at the past, your own past, and if you look at these people like Marcus Pearson and this uh, you know, guy making $1.2 or even us, whoever, and you think, okay, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe the next raise is not going to be the thing. Or maybe it's not the next decade, or maybe it's not retirement that's going to finally get me over that wall. The wall doesn't actually exist. Hmm. The question I would ask is, what would you do today differently? What would you stop waiting for? Whether it's writing that song, writing that book, taking piano lessons, reading a book. Um, taking up a hobby. I don't know. And most people say, I don't have time. I can't do this. I don't know. And, but now we're actually getting it somewhere. I think that's where the excuses really come up. But what we've encouraged people a lot, and this is where my real passion is, is if you really care about something, do it once a week and stop making excuses. And to me, this is just the ultimate excuse. And Casey is just making the ultimate excuse even harder mm -hmm. by legitimatizing these things. And I'm not saying these are like good things. Yeah. But even broke ass people, most of them, I mean, and, and I really, you know, there's a few out there and some of you guys listen to this, you're in that case, but, but I hope that maybe with some reprioritization, if you cancel fucking Netflix or your internet or whatever it is that seems life or death, but really isn't. And you spend one hour a week writing your book or I don't know what your thing is, you know, mm -hmm. sitting in a field, learning yoga. What I mean, <laughs> I don't care, but whatever it is that you feel like you want to do someday, yeah. but you're not doing someday. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about the free things. I'm not saying, you know, some people want to like travel all of Europe. Like, okay, I'm not promising that ever mm -hmm. to anyone. 
But some of the best things, this happiness, love, fulfillment, purpose, like that's what you pointed out in the beginning, Cami. How come some poor people are feeling this now? Those things. Mm-hmm. It's I know they exist because I've met them. But Those yeah. people. Yeah. Where'd you meet them? Other countries. <laughs> Not this country. <laughs> Which I think is interesting, too. Um, so there's one more story, man, I did not think we we're going to go this long, but there's one more parallel story I want to share, which is with my racquetball guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I play racquetball three days a week and there's this funny dynamic where it's a game. Like these guys, they take it, they get into it, you know, or they're like cussing at themselves and each other and. Basically, like to feel good about yourself, you got to beat the other team. That's the that's the whole vibe on the court. And you're like, you guys suck. We're awesome, you know. And I see it as a giant fucking joke <laughs> because I and, and this has like kind of been a hobby of mine. About five years ago, I, I started I started approaching the racquetball court and just seeing like what really matters here. And how can I speak truth and love into any situation? So instead of demeaning my opponent just because they make a good shot at my expense so I don't get the point, just be like, damn, that was an amazing shot. Mm-hmm. You know, I really appreciate that. And that's my way of stepping out of the game mm-hmm. that my identity comes from how many points I get. And in order to feel good about myself, you have to suck and I have to beat you. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that makes me less popular on the court. Because in a way, everyone kind of saying, no, this is really important. Like, mm-hmm. this game fucking matters. Like, you need to bring that level of intensity to fit in. And and the guys don't really like it when I even say nice things to them if they're on the other team. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, hey, nice shot. And they're like, I mean, no one says it, but I have this feeling they're kind of like, shut up. Like, you're supposed to be hating me now. And I'm like, I don't hate you. Mm-hmm. I just am enjoying being here. I'm enjoying being alive. <laughs> but they're like, no, like this is competition. Like this is like, you know, and there's this kind of like self-talk and this like culture vibe that everyone needs to like say that this really matters, mm-hmm. even though none of it matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, you leave the racquetball court and like, you know, you go home and no one cares or even remembers the games from a week or two ago. Yeah. And I have a feeling in a way that this like rat race thing Everyone's like, no, this really matters. Like, all these things are super essential. We got to climb and work and, and like, buy stuff and get more. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a few people are like, uh, like, you know, I have everything. And it's, it's kind of a fucking joke. Mm-hmm. Like, the game is a joke. Like, if you got food, that's really cool. And if you have a roof overhead, like, that's really cool. But at the end of the day, like, it doesn't really matter. And people are like, shut up, you idiot. That's yeah. tone deaf. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. You're going to cricket me? Uh, yep, I am. I had this. When do I get to read? Um. Oh, yeah. Um. Da, da, da. Okay. Um. Let me let me play Casey's conclusion. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to let you read because I want to hear your reading. This is what Casey concludes. If you are struggling financially and someone tells you money won't solve all of your problems, 
chances are the person saying that is someone who's never actually been broke. So what if... Did you guys catch that? I'm going to play it again. If you are struggling financially and someone tells you money won't solve all of your problems, chances are the person saying that is someone who's never actually been broke. So what if someone is saying that who's broke or been broke? Then what? Then how are you going to delegitimatize yeah, that? Yeah, he doesn't add room for that. He just totally says, okay, basically, my story is invalid. The only story that's valid is the echo chamber that says, no, money buys happiness, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to agree to that. Otherwise, you're delegitimatized. Yeah. All right, you going to read for us? Yep. This is from the book, The Power of Now. By Eckhart Tolle. Gratitude for the present moment and the fullness of life now is true prosperity. It cannot come in the future. Then in time, that prosperity manifests for you in various ways. If you are dissatisfied with what you have got or even frustrated or angry about your present lack, that may motivate you to become rich, but even if you do make millions, you will continue to experience the inner condition of lack, and deep down, you will continue to feel unfulfilled. You may have many exciting experiences that money can buy, but they will come and go and always leave you with an empty feeling and the need for further physical or psychological gratification. You won't abide in being, capital B, and so feel the fullness of life now. That alone is true prosperity. So, like, how I would summarize that mm-hmm. is however you feel now, you add some commas and zeros to that, to your net worth, mm-hmm. bank account, there's a good chance you're going to feel that exact same way then. Yeah. So if you're stressing out and don't think you have enough and are always thinking about tomorrow and the next project and think that your last project sucked, when you have $10 million to your name, guess what those people think about? They're worried about tomorrow. They're worried about who they are and what people think about them, and they think their last project sucked, Mm -hmm. in my experience. Yeah, it's crazy how he just says you'll still feel unfulfilled even though that was one of the things that Casey said money buys. Money buys fulfillment, right? Wrong. Keep on talking. I need to change the battery. Okay. Um, yeah, this is the part I'm not very good at. <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> what about anything else from that article? This? Oh, the article. I'm sorry, what you just read. Oh. Well, I think that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people because then they have to face the fact, they have to figure out, well, if money doesn't buy happiness, love, fulfillment, what the hell does? Does anything buy it? Or what does? So the one... um line I am going to quote from the original New York Times piece. It's a question actually and it says this. Are Google employees who work 60 hours a week but who can eat many of of their meals 
Jeez, that's annoying. Or freeze their eggs on the company's dime more satisfied than a startup founder in Des Moines who cleans the office herself but sees her dream become reality. Freeze their eggs. Is that... I guess Google pays for you to freeze your... Oh, your... Your eggs. Eggs. <laughs> like in my ovaries? Your eggs. Oh, wow. What a perk. <laughs> like, basically, they have the top health care in Whoa. the planet. Dang. The best health care. I mean, health care that we never even thought was possible, and now people view as, like, almost a base human need. Wow. And my conclusion with Cammy's kind of point is that as we look at this list that appears to be this wall, this housing, food, healthcare, transportation, and clothing, mm -hmm. most of what we say when we see those things, it's not actually a house that we want, but it's some of these deeper things that we're striving for. Happiness, love, fulfillment, and purpose. When we buy a house, that's what we're actually looking for. Mm-hmm. We're not looking to satisfy basic. If you look at the house we bought now, the size it is, the sexiness it is, the like, you know, it being close to this or that. Like, usually it speaks to not a base necessity, but we're trying to fill something. And I'm not saying that's even bad. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying let's call it for what it is and let's ask this question, did it work? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it does, but not for very long. Right. And it keeps us from ask, actually asking the bigger question. So people then assume, well, I must not have bought a big enough house. I need a bigger house with a bigger yard or healthier, more organic food to feel a sense of security so or like a good maybe parent. this millionaire who's miserable got to the point where he's like, I've, I've gotten it all. And still like he, like the illusion is like falling down. I think you get to a certain point and you can see down and you're like climbing further on this ladder isn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. I need a different ladder. And that's when a lot of people get depressed. Because they can't find the other ladder, don't know the other ladder exists. Because they're, they're trained it not does. to even ask that question. Yeah. When you're just told to climb. And then they're told to shut the fuck up by yeah. the masses. That's helpful. So, uh, yeah, that's that. What do you guys think about that? Um, yeah. Let us know. <laughs> leave a comment <laughs> rate our podcast join our patreon subscribe um okay because that'll give us happiness love fulfillment and purpose um okay cool um we have some questions that we can go to let me see if i can find my uh i would really like for season two to know where my sound effect is is it this one nope Feel like it's over here. Nope. This. Nope. Ah. <laughs> Dang it. You. You know. Fuck it. That's gonna have to do it for now. Okay. Here's the um, voice message. Hi, Cammy and Ben. I have more of an explicit question for your question period. Uh, I'm just wondering if you think masturbation is inherently wrong or only um, if it is used as an unhealthy or obsessive escape from dealing with real life, kind of um, similar to what Ben, you have 
talked about experiencing. Um, I asked because it seems like it could actually have a lot of benefits, um, you know, from helping people better understand their bodies and what feels good, so to speak, or helping um, with sex drive differentials and relationships that neither person feels so much stress from compromising, like the person really has to either go a lot without sex or the other person has to have sex a lot when they don't want to, um, or it could be really helpful um, with people who want to abstain from sex until the right time, um, and then they, um, if they can masturbate, they aren't so driven by the conflict between their morals and their biological instincts. Um, yeah, just curious what your perspective is on that. Thanks. That's a really brave question. You talk about I'm going to tell her about Yeah, that I appreciate you asking. <sighs> Uh, no, I do not believe that it's wrong. I think at some, for some people it could be an escape mechanism, but I don't even really want to go there because I, I'll take care of him. Sorry guys, I'll be right back. Um, I'll go there. Uh, I don't even think escape mechanism is wrong. Um, I would say an escape mechanism might be less beneficial but you know like i have to give the long answer to this unfortunately and forgive me if you've heard this one already but um one of the my mindsets that has been changed recently in the last year or two was thinking about multiple personality disorder so i have a relative that has multiple personality disorder and they would put things in shopping carts and um, not know why those things were in the shopping cart because they had were under a different personality when they did it. And we always kind of looked at them. And growing up in a Christian family, we dealt with people with um, mental disorders a bit, a bit, um, man, I don't know, even know how to say it because it was so like unsaid. But it was like, it was almost like they were doing something wrong. Like there was this thought, oh, you could pray yourself out of it. And drugs weren't seen as like evil, but they were seen as like subpar. Um, and like, it was almost like you had the choice in some way, shape or form for this mental disorder. Okay. And I remember reading in, it's really kind of crazy actually, but it's, it's this famous self-help book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. You know, it's like one of the, top selling business books of all time and in this book he says that significance is so important for people that if they can't find significance in this reality they will create their own and we were doing counseling at the time and had it having enough changes and somehow i was able to make the realization that instead of viewing mental disorders taking multiple personality disorder as an example as someone who was like wrong and bad or less healthy or something seeing it as wow because the other side i didn't tell you is the same family member of how horrifically they were abused in their childhood they were raped by their father so they gave birth to their sibling at the age of 13 and were sexually abused to be paying off gambling debts etc etc okay i don't want to get into it but just things where you're like oh okay so there's trauma there and this reality was so painful 
that their brain created alternate pathways and realities to function in so that they didn't have to kill themselves in this reality. And coming from a spiritual perspective, I actually even think God created that capacity for people to create alternate realities so that they don't have to kill themselves because this reality is so unbearable for them. So in that way, I was now able to see multiple personality disorder as a miracle. Hmm. And we'd be like, that is so much better than suicide. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you're alive right now. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why you're alive is because your brain has the ability to, to create alternate realities. Now, I, I wish for like better wholeness and health for every person. And I don't always know what that looks like. But when we're talking about masturbation as a way to avoid reality, I guess one of the things I wonder now is what reality are they, um, I don't want to say running from because I think that even has a negative connotation, but what reality aren't they able to face right now? And how do we help that? And maybe masturbation is that, you know, or alcohol or... Or maybe you already talked about this, but maybe it's what she said. It's a way to deal with your biological urges yeah yeah and that's i'm all fine with that too yeah um so anyhow um that is way 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 tmi rabbit trail on the masturbation thing (laughs) but since you just tossed that phrase in there Mm -hmm. as kind of the worst case scenario which and i didn't used to always believe that i used i was more trained in the mindset of like reality is bad or sorry fantasy is bad reality is good and it was just like that it was like really just that simple Right. What happens when reality is awful? Yeah. Or what? Ha- I mean, what's the difference and who gets to decide that? Mm. Um, the yeah. Christian belief that I was raised in, like not necessarily in the church, but like what I think the Bible says is like God is the ultimate and only reality. And none of us are ready for it, mm. um, can handle it right now. So none of us are in true reality. Like that's. So any of the reality that we think we're in right now compared to other people is all kind of like fighting over breadcrumbs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Next question. Hey, guys. This is Shiloh from Texas. Um, I was just wondering. I, uh, I've i noticed in the last, like, hundred or so vlogs, y'all have moved a little bit further away from the quote-unquote letter of the law type of ver- observance of worship. And I was wondering your view on whether the Bible is like the perfect writ straight from God or not. Um, a lot of people think that it's a collection of stories over time, and some of them are completely got ordained, like the prophets and the stuff about Jesus, stuff like that. Um, and I was wondering how y'all kind of walk the tightrope of avoiding the legalism that Jesus rebuked in the New Testament and uh, making sure that you're not just observing um, your faith the way that you want and allowing your own um, your own way to determine how you observe faith and because um, I know for me that's a it's a big thing that I uh, try to avoid um, I always try to look to the scriptures but also make sure I'm not being too legalistic anyways just wondering what y'all thought about that thank y'all love the podcast Man, any anytime everyone starts their question by saying, I've noticed in the last hundred episodes, <laughs> it's like, damn. Wow, thanks for watch, You've done your homework. watching all those. I like that. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like you know our souls. Yeah. Man, that's a question. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. 
to end on that. That's a, yeah, that's, so he's saying, have you, how do you, yeah. There, what, okay, there's what so do you much think there. about the scriptures, first of all? Okay, so you asked, um, are the scriptures... Bible. I, I don't know what the word the you use, but there, there's a big old debate right now of, is the Bible inerrant? Which means... Which means there's no errors in the current translation we have, I, I think. Of course, that question means different things to different people. Um, it, it's a spectrum. It is a spectrum. <laughs> I, have, I have zero confidence that the current translation we have is error free yeah um so i mean like i don't know how you can believe i understand why people believe that because i think they start asking this question well if i doubt this then every verse that i'm hanging my life on could be false and i can't trust any of it and then why follow any of it but to me that's like I don't know. There's so many layers to this question. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is its own podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess for me, the big thing that has changed was I used to see the Bible as a rule book. And to me, if you see it as a rule book and if you're following the rules, then it needs to be inerrant on some way because you need to know which rules to follow. Mm-hmm. But to me, the Bible was never intended to be that to us. Now, it records certain rules for certain people at certain times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was that was never the plan of what even the literature was intended for. Yeah. So it's like if we were like really obsessed if we discovered some um, ancient Roman like stones that had some like inscription for the rules of football, and we were like, we need to figure out what these say because we need to know how to play the game. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, no, you don't. Like this is how they played the game. Isn't it interesting? And I I actually think it's. You know, I think it's more than that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, but I don't think it's only a collection of stories either. So, to me, the Bible can still be important and valuable um, without hundred percent translation. But it kind of needs to come down to what you see the Bible is there for. Mm-hmm. But most of my life and most of the religious world that I grew up in, even the ones that said they don't treat it like a rule book, at the end of the day, they treat it like a rule book. And what I don't like is if you believe, I haven't yet seen a person that believes the Bible is inerrant, means no errors. Inerrant means without errors. Yeah. I haven't yet to see a person who believes that, that doesn't use the Bible in some shape or form as a weapon against other people and against themselves. Um, just to make everyone's life simpler, I'm going to post a link to a podcast that was really influential to us in this last year that I think gave me a new way to see the Bible. Um, and it was by Richard Rohr. I think it was the Bible for Normal People uh, was the name of the podcast. And it was an interview with Richard Rohr. And something about, maybe it was just me at the, at the time period, but the way it hit me, I was like, oh, like, yeah, it just changed everything for me in a way that I can't do justice to right mm-hmm. now. Oh my gosh, wow. All right. So I'm actually, I'm really curious to hear what you guys' thoughts are on this episode with the Casey Neistat um, 
video. Um, of course, we'll post all these links in the show notes if you actually want to watch a Casey Neistat video or, or read the article. Although, you know, I'm, I'm not recommending any of that. I don't, it didn't blow my mind. Um, but I want to hear, is there something in your life that you are putting off because you don't think you have enough money? But in reality, you could start this week. That you want to. But you don't think you can because you're saying someday yeah. when I get my next raise, that's when I'm going to start that thing. Someday never comes. Oh. <laughs> nice. Is that my? I don't know. Creedence Clearwater Revival. Oh, okay. Um, that's what I would like to hear from you guys if mm-hmm. you're up for sharing something. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, do the right thing that you're supposed to do as podcast listeners. You guys know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to leave us a message uh, for a future podcast, the phone number is 206-651-5744. That's 206-651-5744. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.